You know, guys, I guess I say this about every book. I love God's word, and I love especially 1 Samuel. I love David's life. As a young Christian, I can remember as a young Christian being 20 years old, learning about God and, and about the things of God, and just being really enthralled with the life of David, a man after God's own heart. And when you look at David, I'll be honest with you, he's not a perfect man. Does everybody realize that? I think we should know that, right? Because when you get to 2 Samuel, there's things like he and Bathsheba. There's things like the census that takes place at the end of 2 Samuel. David's not a perfect man, but he has a heart after God. But David also illustrates the reality of life, because here's somebody who has been anointed to be king over Israel, and, you know, he's anointed as basically a teenager. He doesn't become king over Israel until he's 40. 40. So what happens in between there? A whole lot of problems, a whole lot of difficulties. He's got somebody who's really out to kill him, his father-in-law. His father-in-law is is basically irate, angry at him, jealous of him, and wants to kill him. And so we're up to chapter 24 where we see that Saul is trying to wipe David out. But God has, it's almost amazing sometimes that when you've got people who are after you, God sometimes puts them in your hands. Do you know what I mean by that? He sometimes puts you in a situation where you have to decide what you're going to do with him. But the reality is, is that if somebody's coming after you and they're out to hurt you, what is your natural reaction? You want to hurt them back, right? You're like, I don't get mad, I get even. You ever heard that statement? I mean, that's how a lot of us live by. You know, you hurt me, I'm going to hurt you. And that's a natural human reaction. And if somebody's trying to hurt you, your thought is, is how do I hurt them back so they leave me alone? How do I get back at them for the pain that they've caused me? And we're going to see, folks, that that actually is faith's biggest test. You know, you and I are tested in our faith daily. We say my biggest faith test is seeing God provide for me in an area where I need him to provide or seeing God heal in an area where I need him to heal. Yeah, those are tests, but that's not your biggest test. Your biggest test is how you react to the person who's trying to hurt you. When that person is placed in your hands and you have the opportunity to take vengeance, you have the opportunity to do what you want to do and get back at them. That's faith's biggest test. Because faith is calling you to what? Leave them in God's hands. Let God take care of them. And we're going to see that today from David's life. We're going to see that here from David and hopefully learn some things. Let's talk about this, though, our natural tendency. I've got a couple things I want to point out to you for here. Hopefully you got a bulletin. And you can fill this out on the back, but there's a couple things I want to point out here. Number one, when we are hurt, we feel we must take measures into our own hands. When we are hurt, 
we feel we must take measures into our own hands. Have you ever noticed that? You're in a situation, stuff's happening to you, nobody else seems to get it, nobody else seems to understand the pain of the situation you're in, nobody seems to understand what that person is doing to you. In fact, sometimes it seems like nobody cares. Have you ever noticed that? That you're going through abuse, you're going through slander, you're going through turmoil because of somebody else and nobody cares. You're the only one who's carrying it. And so what happens is, is our natural tendency is to say, I've got to take measures into my own hands because nobody else is going to help me. Nobody else cares. Nobody even thinks it's a problem. And so our natural tendency when we're hurt is that we feel we must take measures into our own hands. Isn't that what we do? Or am I the only one like that? Is that a George problem? I think that's a human problem, right? You know, at least I feel like I'm normal now. I'm like, wow, man, you know, when I wrote this, I thought I was the, am I the only one here? No, we're all like that, right? We want to get back at people who hurt us. That's a natural human instinct. Have you ever noticed that human instincts go on for years? They get passed on from generation to generation. People wanting to take vengeance for something that happened long ago because we feel like we've got to take measures into our own hands. Here's the second thing I want you to see. We fail to see that not taking vengeance is a test of our faith. We don't see that. Remember I told you that this is your biggest faith test? And you're like, no, it isn't. My biggest faith test is trusting God to provide for this need. My biggest faith test is seeing him bring healing in this person's life. My biggest faith test is seeing him save my loved one. No, no, no. Your biggest faith test, folks, is you not taking vengeance. Because God told you not to take vengeance, and that God told you that vengeance is mine. Well, you know what? I don't know that I believe that, George, because if I don't do this and I wait on God, it may never happen. That's because we're looking for the immediate. And God sees things in the long term. And God's going to hold everyone to account in his timetable. Do you understand? But the problem is, is we don't see this as a test of faith. I'm here to tell you today, folks, it's the biggest test of faith you're going to have. When you've got somebody in your hands and you can get back at them for what they've done to you, choosing not to do it because you're going to trust God to handle it, that's a big faith test, isn't it? And that's what we're going to see today from David's life. And hopefully we can learn some lessons here. So let's look at this. First of all, let's look at the opportunity. We're going to see the opportunity is given for David to act. We're going to look at that in the first four verses. Look with me at chapter 24. Now it happened when Saul had returned from following the Philistines that it was told to him, saying, Take note, David is in the wilderness of En Gedi. Then Saul took 3,000 chosen men from all Israel and went to seek David and his men on the rocks of the wild goats, so he came to the sheepfolds by the road, and there was a cave. And Saul went to attend to his needs, 
And David and his men were staying in the recesses of the cave. Then the men of David said to him, This is the day of which the Lord said to you, Behold, I will deliver your enemy into your hands, that you may do to him as it seems good to you. And David arose and secretly cut off a corner of Saul's robe. Let me tell you what's happening here. You know, as uh, you know, as we were traveling here just recently, we traveled yesterday. It, it's really great because I remember back as a kid, growing up in the South. Remember, an interstate being built, and before that interstate was being built, you had to travel down the U.S. highways, which were typically two-lane roads. Do you remember that before there was the interstate, you had to travel down the two-lane roads, and and as a kid, you're always having to go to the bathroom. Have you noticed that? And back there in those days, there weren't no rest areas. Did you know what I'm saying? There weren't no rest areas. And so typically, Dad had to pull over and let you out to run off into the woods to do your what? Business. Right? You, I, mean, I mean, if you know that, because our kids don't even, they're like, what's that rest area? There was a time when there was no rest area. Okay, like we were driving the other day, and Hudson says, "Look, there, that doesn't have any. That doesn't have any bathrooms. That's an old rest area on a two-lane road. That's the what it used to be like." Same thing's happening here. Saul he gets word David's in the wilderness of En Gedi, so he gets three thousand soldiers, goes after him. As he's going along the way, nature calls. He's got to do business. So he sees some caves, and he happens to go into the caves in the, in the rocks of the goat, as the area was called. And in the cave are David and his men in the recesses of the cave. Now here, this is a pretty awkward situation, isn't it? And so guess what happens? David's got his chance. I mean, he's real, I mean, Saul is in a vulnerable position, right? Literally. And David goes up and cuts off the corner of his robe. Now, just so you understand, folks, Saul's not wearing that robe. He had to take the robe off to do whatever he had to do. And so David goes up and cuts off a corner of his robe. And so I want to tell you something here about the opportunity, because this is where you and I are at, because it will happen. One day, the person who hurts you will find himself in a situation with you where you can take your vengeance. And the question is, will you? You ever thought about that? I mean, if, you're, if you've really been hurt by someone, you probably have thought, you know, if I had my chance, this is what I would do. Well, David gets that chance. Listen, listen to a couple things here about the opportunity. Number one, opportunities for vengeance will present themselves. They will. Opportunities for vengeance will present themselves. You know, I'm, I'm 53 years old. I can think of numerous times through the years when I have been in situations where somebody has hurt me, and then later on down the road, I find that they are dependent on me doing something, and I could choose not to do it. And it would hurt them. 
They'll present themselves. At the most, it's not like you're looking for it either. It's like, boom. I mean, think about it. David's in the cave. They're hiding. Do they really think King Saul's going to go in there? No. Guess what? He walks in by himself. Opportunities for vengeance will present themselves. Here's the thing. Number two, you will be encouraged to act by others. That's going to be the hardest part about this whole thing about your testing of your faith is because when that opportunity presents itself, you will always have somebody by you and says, look, he did you wrong. She did you wrong. Here's your opportunity to get back at them. Look at what God did. He gave you this opportunity. You take that opportunity. You do it. Isn't that what David was hearing? This is the day God said to you, I would give your enemies into your hand. Here he is. He's really in your hand right now. Take it, David. We live in a culture that encourages you to get back at the people who hurt you, don't we? In fact, let's just stop from it's not a culture. We live in a world that encourages you to get back at the person who hurts you or does you wrong. It doesn't have to be Americans. It's the world. You go anywhere in the world right now, I'm going to tell you right now, it's an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. You hurt me, I'm going to hurt you back. And that's what people encourage each other to do. The opportunities for vengeance will be there, and the opportunity will be encouraged for you to take it by others. Here's the third thing I want you to see. You can spiritualize vengeance. You can spiritualize it. You can rationalize taking vengeance on them and do it in a spiritual way. Isn't that what these guys were doing with David? Look, the Lord gave him to you. This is what the Lord was telling you. This is what the Lord promised you. Go ahead and do it, David. You can sit there and say, you know what? God, you gave me this opportunity to get back at them. I'm the tool of vengeance in your hand, Lord. And you can spiritualize it. Well, I talked to my pastor and he said that in this situation it would be okay. By the way, don't ask me. I might give you wrong advice. Especially right now I'm jet lagging, okay? So I'm not thinking right. But I'm serious. And, and you notice something. Here, this, is, this is what I've noticed. Is that we so want vengeance. We so want to get back at people. If you tell me don't do it, I'm not going to listen to you. I'm going to call five other people until I hear somebody say do it. Right? Isn't that what we do? We look for somebody to give us permission. That's what we're wanting, right? We're wanting permission to get back at them. So we're spiritualizing the vengeance. In fact, we'll even spiritualize it this way. I know I'm not supposed to do that, but you forgive. You forgive, Lord. 
I know I'm forgiven. I'll just ask for forgiveness. Lord, forgive me for what I'm about to do. We spiritualize it. Spiritualize it. The opportunity. But folks, thankfully the story is a whole lot more than that. The story is about our passing the biggest test. The story is about us making the right decision, about coming to a realization. So let's read the rest of the story together, okay? So I want you to notice with me verse 5 through 22. Now it happened afterward that David's heart troubled him because he cut Saul's robe. Let me read that to you again. Now it happened afterward that David's heart troubled him because he cut Saul's robe. And he said to his men, The Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, to stretch out my hand against him, seeing that he is the anointed of the Lord. So David restrained his servants with these words and did not allow them to rise against Saul. And Saul got up from the cave and went on his way. David also afterward went out of the cave and called out to Saul, saying, My lord, the king! And when David looked behind him, David stooped with his face to the earth and bowed down. And David said to Saul, Why do you listen to the words of men who say, Indeed, David seeks you harm? Look, this day your eyes have seen that the Lord delivered you into my hand in the cave, and someone urged me to kill you, but my eyes spared you. And I said, I will not stretch out my hand against my Lord, for he is the Lord's anointed. Moreover, my father, see, see the corner of your robe in my hand. For in that I cut off the corner of your robe and did not kill you. Know and see that there is neither evil nor rebellion in my hand, and I have not sinned against you. Yet you hunt my life to take it. Let the Lord judge between me and you, and let the Lord avenge me against you. But my hand shall not be against you. As the proverb of the ancient says, wickedness proceeds from the wicked but my hand shall not be against you. After whom has the king of Israel come out? Whom do you pursue? A dead dog, a flea? Let the Lord be the judge between, let the Lord be judge and judge between you and me and see and plead my case and deliver me out of your hand. So it was when David had finished speaking these words to Saul that Saul said, is this your voice, my son David? And Saul lifted up his voice and wept. Then he said to David, You are more righteous than I, for you have rewarded me with good, whereas I have rewarded you with evil. And you have shown this day that you have dealt well with me when the Lord delivered you in, delivered me into your hand. You did not kill me. For if a man finds his enemy, will he let him get away safely? Therefore may the Lord reward you for what good with good for what you have done to me this day. And know, and now I know indeed that you shall surely be king and that the kingdom of Israel shall be established in your hand. Three things I want you to see here, folks, about realization. Number one, vengeance reveals the darkness of our own hearts.
You know, I shared, I shared this a few years ago. Boy, it's probably been 10 years. Um, this is my second church that I've pastored. We've been here over 18 now. But before this church, we pastored a church in Canada. We were there four years. Which, by pastoral standards, that's pretty good, being in a church four years. Being in a church 18 years, that's amazing. You know what I'm saying? Um... But that first church, that, that was my first church. Lori and I, are, we only had Hudson. We didn't have Hudson yet. Sawyer. We, we had Maddie and Foss, and they were, I mean, wee little. I mean, Maddie and Foss were born there. So we're talking, they were under, they were three and two, all right? And we had some difficulties in that church, Part of the difficulties was there was the involvement of the pastor who was there before me. And um, it was really tough, really tough. And so after four years, we decided that we were done. And we resigned, and we came back to Pennsylvania. And that was tough for me because I didn't have, I, when we left, I didn't, normally when pastors leave, they got another church to go to, okay? Well, when I resigned, I just decided I'm done and we'll look for another church. I didn't know it would take a whole other year to find another church before I came here. And that was like the dark night of my soul. Like if you ever felt like you're on a shelf, so I think guys, under, guys more than ladies understand this. When you feel like you're on the shelf and and God's forgotten you and you're not doing, you know, do you understand what I'm saying? Because men identify themselves by what they do. So after I started here, I mean, I started here in 2001. In December, somebody from our old church died that Lori and I love very dearly. So we drove back up to Canada for the funeral. And I'm in the funeral home and, uh, you know, waiting and, um, uh, I'm not really paying attention, just in shock that I was there. And uh, I turned around, and right behind me was that pastor who had hurt us, who was the reason why we had to leave. And he was right there. And in that moment, Okay, forget I'm in a, you know, you you can forget where you're at. In a funeral home, you don't want to make a scene, right? But I'm going to tell you something. The biggest wrestling match ever happened in my life happened right there. Because I wanted to tell him something. And it wasn't biblical. I'm human. And the other thought occurred to me, Walk on out of here. Because that's the better response. And I came face to face with a reality. I came face to face with the darkness of my own heart. That's what's going on here with David. David, when he cut off the robe of the king... His heart troubled him. Remember I read that to you? Why did it trouble him? Because he realized that he's just as bad. 
Do you understand, for me to react towards that pastor, first of all, why would it, I mean, that, that's not the proper thing to do in a funeral home. But for me to react, I'm actually assuming them, doing what they would do. Do you understand what I'm saying? It was revealing the darkness of my own heart. See, this is the realization. Vengeance reveals the darkness of our own heart, the fact that we would want to get back at the person who's hurt us, and we want to make them suffer. In fact, isn't it? don't we dream of how they'll suffer? Well, if I could do this, then they'll really feel it. I mean, we, that just reveals the darkness of our own souls. I want to make them hurt. Look, I'm going to tell you, folks, that pastor is now dead. I'm going to tell you he went to his grave never thinking that he did anything wrong. You know that. You, you have experienced that where people have hurt you and they're now gone. And they didn't think they did anything wrong. But there you are. What do you do with it? That's where forgiveness comes in. You got to learn to forgive. Put it in God's hand. Because that, to be honest with you, that's the next biggest test is forgiveness, right? Because that's tied to this not taking vengeance, right? Is that I'm leaving it in your hands, Lord, to deal with them. Vengeance reveals the darkness of our own hearts. Here's the second thing. Rejecting the opportunity is an act of faith. Rejecting the opportunity to take vengeance is an act of faith. That by itself is an act of faith because by you saying, no, I am not going to do this. I am not going to hurt them. I'm not going to get back at them. I'm not going to succumb to the same type of thing that they would do. That's an act of faith. What does it mean? It's saying, God, I'm trusting in you to make this right at some point. In the end of all things, Lord, you are going to be the one who will say, you did this, and they can't say, no, I didn't. Because they'll know they did. That's an act of faith. Now do you see why it's the biggest act of faith you can exercise? By trusting in God to take care of it? And folks, sometimes it is literally faith, because you, they may go to their grave never ever having to answer for what they did. But folks, there is no end of time with God. And he raises all up, and the books will be opened. Isn't that amazing? The books will be opened, and everything will be revealed. So you have to trust him. You have to trust him. Rejecting the opportunity is an act of faith. Some of you right now, you have in front of you, I don't know who it is, but I'm sure somebody here has an opportunity to act and get back at somebody. I'm telling you, let it go. Trust God. Well, you don't know what they did to me, George. I understand that. You're right. I don't know. But I'm telling you right now, you let God handle it, and you trust him, and there's no squirming away from God, is there? None. Not at all. You let him deal with it. Here's the final thing. Faith calls us to leave the matter in God's hands. Faith calls 
us to leave the matter in God's hand. Isn't that what David's saying here? David's saying, you know what, you're saying this about me, but let the Lord judge between us. The Lord will be the judge. The Lord is the one who will set things right. The Lord is the one who will take care of all things. I'm trusting in the Lord. You need to let it go. Put it in his hands. And can I tell you something? He doesn't forget. I mean, I'll forget. I mean, have you ever noticed when you first come here, it takes me three months to figure out your name? I'll forget. I forget stuff. You forget stuff. Time goes on. We forget. Wounds aren't forgotten, though, but we forget. God doesn't forget anything. God deals with it. So you leave it in his hands. He doesn't forget. He doesn't. He said, okay, George, what do we do with this? Well, here's what I want to, I want to point out two things to you. Two things for you to wrestle with, two things for you to come to a conclusion about, okay? Number one, consider how you're handling the hurts others have inflicted on you. That's got to be the first one. How are you handling it? And I'm not just talking about something that happened just last week. For some of you, it's something that's happened over a period of time. For some of you, it's something that happened 20 years ago. For some of you, it's happened longer than that. For some of you, it's like you're reliving the moment every day. How are you handling it? I dare say a lot of us, we're not handling it well. That's why we're angry. Some of us are just seething on the inside because of something somebody did to us. And we have no time at all for whoever it is, and we want to get back at them for what they did to us. But if we're going to pass this biggest test of our faith, you, you've got to consider how you're handling the hurts. You've got to consider it. You've got to think about how you're handling it. And that means being honest. It means being honest. I mean, I'm going to be honest with you. Some, I mean, I don't, I don't handle things well sometimes. I remember a few years ago, man, it's, again, boy, time's running together. It's probably been seven or eight years ago. I went to a conference down at uh, Lynchburg. And uh, I, uh, after the conference, my friend who is on staff there at the church it's up on the platform. I thought I'd hang around and say goodbye to him. And coming off the platform is another guy that I knew in college. In fact, I helped him get his first church. He comes off the platform and he sees me. So I'm getting ready to say hi. And he says to me, do I know you? What's your name? I was pretty offended. In fact, I was so offended, I brooded on that for a whole year. I can't believe you would do that, George. You do the same thing, too. Because it hurts. 
Rejection hurts, right? This is what I'm saying to you. Consider how you're handling the hurts that others have inflicted on you. And let's just be honest, we're not doing well. Oh, but I handle everything perfectly. You're a liar. Because we lie to ourselves. Here's the second thing. Allow faith to help you to ignore the opportunities to get back at them. Let faith help you to ignore it. Because I'm going to tell you folks, because you, you will be shocked that one day the opportunity will arise for you to get back at them for everything they've done to you, and you will have people who will say to you, take it! I'm going to tell you right now, it's going to take faith to say no and let it pass on by. And trust God. And I'm going to tell you right now, that's what I need to do and that's what you need to do. Because that's faith. Faith is trusting in God to deal with it, to handle it. May God help us. Let's pray.